Hope you've got your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in case you were not here this morning, I know some of you were not able to be here, let me try to bring you up to speed as to what we're doing here tonight. Uh, we began a new sermon series on Sunday mornings last Sunday called Last Days. In the last days of the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to young Timothy, the second letter that he had written to him. And it, really the focus of the letter are, or is uh, about the terrible times that are coming and how Timothy should be ready for that and how Timothy as a young pastor should be prepared to take a stand and how we as well can do that in the last days. So this morning we were talking about chapter 1, uh, verse 8 through 18, suffering for the gospel. Now that's not a subject that we like to talk about. It's not a subject that, that, that you know, just gets everybody excited and, and, and uh, interested. But it is a subject that is very important. You see, here's my belief, and, and if you believe this, I, I want you to say amen. I want to make sure you're with me. Here's my belief. There is nothing in the Word of God by accident. That, that God has placed His Word, He has placed the things in His Word there for a reason, for a purpose. And so when He had Timothy write about suffering for the gospel, there was a reason that is needed in Timothy's life and a reason that it is needed in our lives. And so I'm going to finish the message that I started this morning. And again, because some of you are not here, let me give you the first two points and then we're just going to jump in and continue on. We said that in this text that Paul was giving Timothy three action points, three things that he needed to do in order to be prepared for the suffering that was coming. And the first thing that Timothy, the first action point that Paul gave Timothy was this, do not be ashamed of the gospel. And four times in three verses, Paul uses that word ashamed. And we talked about how fear can cause you to hesitate. And, and fear can cause you to back up. Fear can cause you to, when you hesitate, to stop. And, and maybe not go forward with what you intended to do. And, and so Paul said, do not be ashamed of the gospel. We, we talked about Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not going to rehearse all of that, but in case you're trying to write down some of the notes from this morning. We also talked about Mark chapter 8, verse 38, where Jesus talked about not being ashamed of Him or His words. And that is the temptation in our world. The pressure is to be ashamed of Jesus and ashamed of, what his, of his words. We said the gospel is not always popular, but it is always needed. Can somebody put an amen there? It's not always possible to talk about that man is born in sin. It's not always possible to talk about that, that there is a Savior, but there's only one Savior. There is a way to heaven, but there's only one way to heaven. That's not a popular topic today. And so, because the gospel is not popular, sometimes we need great boldness. Graciousness, yes, but boldness as well. So that was the first point, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Second action point was this, be willing to suffer for the gospel. Uh, just read verse 8 with me again. Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. By the way, let me stop there. I hadn't intended to say this, but, but there's a word I want you to notice. Uh, he said, or ashamed of me, whose prisoner? His prisoner. Now, where was Paul when he wrote this? He, he was in jail, he was in prison in Rome, 
under the, the rulership of who? Nero. But he doesn't call himself Nero's prisoner. You see that? He's talking about, listen, God's in charge of this thing. And, and the fact that I'm a prisoner doesn't mean that God is no longer in charge. The fact that I'm a prisoner doesn't mean that somehow evil has won. This is part of my role, Paul would say, in suffering for the gospel. I'm his prisoner. Just like I'm his servant. So, we pick up the word. He says, To do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Then he says again in verse 12, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Well, this morning I gave you lots of scriptures to look at to let you understand that, that suffering for the Christian is, a, is normal Christianity. Suffering from the very earliest days of, of Jesus, from the very earliest days he told his followers about the prospect of suffering and persecution and that's normal Christianity. But we said this morning that the gospel is worth it. That's why Paul did what he did. The gospel is worth it. Now, I want to pick up there and, and take off with some uh, new information, new study. Uh, let, me, uh, let me dig into that thought for a moment, that the gospel is worth it. Why don't you take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 3, and I'll show you why the gospel is worth suffering. Why Paul would say... that. This is worth it. Paul believed that following Jesus was worth the cost, even the cost of losing his freedom, and even the cost of losing his life. I'll say that again. Paul believed that following Jesus was worth the cost, even the cost of losing his freedom, and even the cost of losing his life. Let, let me show you why uh, Paul said this. Philippians chapter 3. Here's... Verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider, what's that word, church? I now consider what? Loss. And here's what I consider loss. For the sake of what? Let me stop right there for a moment before we go further. Do you know why Paul would say, listen, suffering for the gospel is worth it? Do you know why it's worth it? Because he had received Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul exchanged his life for a life with Jesus. And in the process, he discovered a love that was beyond comprehension, a satisfaction that, was be that surpassed his circumstances, and a purpose that transcended every possible uh, pursuit of this world. And so let's dig in and look a little bit at what he says here in this text. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You know why Paul was willing to sit in that dungeon? You know why Paul could write to Timothy and basically say, Timothy, join me in my suffering. It's because Paul understood that once you've experienced Jesus Christ, it is worth it. That's action step number two. Let me go now to action step number three. Uh, as you're writing notes, this will be uh, action step number three. Paul says something very interesting back in Second Timothy. Paul says, action step number three, guard the gospel. Look at verse 13 and 14. We're talking about preparing for the suffering that's coming, preparing for the suffering ahead. Paul says in verse 13 and 14, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, then he says it again, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, you talk to me for a few minutes. When you hear that word, guard the gospel, what does that word guard imply to you? Say it louder. Protect. All right, somebody else. Defend. Defend it. Somebody else. I'm saying, it's something that's, that you treasure, you hold it in high regard. See? Okay, very good. The world in which we live, see if you agree with this, the world in which we live believes the lies of the enemy far too often. Have, have you watched the things happening in our society? Have you watched the things happening in our, in our world? Have you sometimes shake, uh, shaken your head and thought, what are they thinking? How could they do that? How could they believe that? How? I'll tell you how. They're buying into the lives of the enemy. Now, in the last days, are you listening? In the last days, that's going to get worse. In the last days, there will be more and more deception. In the last days, people will be more and more confused. And in that environment, as the last days grow more confusing, as the deception increases, in that environment, Paul says to young Timothy, guard the gospel. Isn't it interesting he did not say guard your life? Something more precious than our lives. Say, guard the gospel. Now, what, what would, how would we guard the gospel? Who are we guarding the gospel from? Why do we need to guard the gospel? Those, those are all kinds of questions that run through my mind as I'm looking at this phrase. Timothy, guard the gospel. I can understand what he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. I get that. I can understand the second one. Tell me, church, what, what was the second action point? Huh? 
be willing to suffer for the gospel. I, I get that. I understand that. But this third one is the one that kind of catches me off guard. This third one is, now, guard this gospel. This gospel you're willing to suffer for? This gospel I'm telling you not to be ashamed of? The one you live by. Now, he says, guard this gospel. I'll tell you why. Because in the days in which we live, there are two assaults to the gospel. One is to deny the gospel. And the second is to try to change the gospel. Yeah. You've seen that, haven't you? First of all, we're going to deny the gospel. Deny the gospel. The, the, the gospel being that there is, that, that mankind is born in sin. And we have no hope of, that we have no hope of, of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. People all the time are, are calling Christians narrow-minded because you dare to say that Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to God. And the only way to God. And in the day and times in which we live, this is going to get worse and worse and worse where people are going to deny that that's true. They're going to deny that that's right. And oh my goodness, if you get on a college campus, all you've got to do is listen and you'll see how rampant this is now. This concept that there, uh, that there are other ways to God and, and other religions and how can you say that your religion is, you know, they compare. There, there is no absolute truth in our world anymore. Well, let me rephrase that. There still is absolute truth in our world. But it's not, always, it's not always recognized. So Paul says, so here, guard the gospel because there will be some who deny it. But even worse than that, guard the gospel because there will be some who try to change it. I would say to you tonight, it is more dangerous to change the gospel than it is to deny the gospel as far as the effect of it. Changing the gospel is this. We want to make it fit. We want to make it fit our lifestyle. We want to make it fit our society. We want to make it fit our culture. We want to make it fit our, our own, our own uh, beliefs, uh, our own religious beliefs. And can I tell you something? This is the fascinating thing. This is not new. This, this has been going on ever since the gospel began. You see, you need to understand, and I think I said this earlier, I may not have, but from the Garden of Eden, Satan has been contesting what God said. Hath God really said? From the Garden of Eden, Satan has been saying, wait a minute, no, 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 no. And trying to deny or change what God said. Satan's been doing that from the very beginning. And even in the days of the New Testament, as the gospel was starting to bloom, in the days of the New Testament, guess what? That was happening then too. Let me show you an example. Go to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Galatians chapter 1, verse 7. Well, let's go to verse 6 and then verse 7. The Apostle Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia, and he says in verse 6, I am, what's that next word? I'm astonished. 
I'm shocked, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see that? You're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, what was happening in the churches of Galatia was this. People said, well, yes, you can be a Christian if you're a Jew, but they try to, quote, Judaize the gospel. In other words, if you want to become a Christian, here's what you need to do. You, you need to become a Jew in order to then become a Christian. And, and we won't get into all of that. I've talked on some of that most re- uh, recently. But, but the whole idea was this. They were changing and perverting the gospel even in the early days of the gospel. And that is why Paul said to Timothy, Guard the gospel. Because there will be some who deny it, and there will be probably many who want to change it. Add to, take away from the truth that was handed to us by God. Isn't it fascinating that we sometimes, as mere mortals, think we can change what God has said? We can somehow improve what God has said. We, we can somehow make it different, or perhaps in our minds, uh, make it better. Well, if you go back to 2 Timothy, I want to show you a phrase that I hope you didn't miss as we were reading that, as he says, guard the gospel. Go back to 2 Timothy. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In other words, you know, you know how you guard the gospel, Timothy? You remember what I taught you. That's where you start. Paul taught Timothy the truth. He taught Timothy the gospel. He, and he says, use that as a pattern. Do you, I don't know, any ladies here still sew? Do any ladies sew? All right, do you, do you sew with a pattern? They still have patterns? Pam, are you shaking your head? All right. I remember when my mom used to sew, you know, years ago when I was a little boy, she'd make dresses and stuff, and she'd have a pattern, and it was made out of this real thin paper. And I don't know how to, how they do this. I'm going to make myself sound foolish, but you somehow put that pattern on, on the cloth. I, I, do you pin it on? Do you tape it on with duct tape? I don't know. You just... You, you, pin, you pin the pattern down to the, to the cloth, and then you use... Watch this. You use that pattern... To cut around so that when you get it done, you can hold it up. and You've got that piece that you need to sew together. Paul says, listen, Timothy, in this confusing, crazy, rapidly changing culture, I have given you a pattern to follow. As you walked with me, as we talked together, as I trained you, as we prayed together, as we did ministry together, as we served together, Timothy, don't forget those things that I taught you. Don't forget the pattern. There's a beautiful picture there of discipleship, isn't it? Don't forget the pattern. And then he goes on. uh, Look what he says. Um, Verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Every generation, the gospel is entrusted to us. Each generation. It's passed on. In fact, in in this very chapter, he talks about the gospel that, that first dwelt 
in your grandmother, and then in your mother, and then in you. Each generation, the gospel gets passed down. And ladies and gentlemen, these last days in which we are living, as the world and the culture is going to rapidly change, here's what you need to understand. It is imperative. Listen to me, church. It is imperative that we pass the gospel to the younger generation. It is imperative as they are about to experience things we can't even imagine. As they are about to experience pressures and and conflict. As they are about to to experience temptations and and deal with things and and lies from the enemy. They're going to be thrown into all kinds of turmoil. It is imperative that they know the gospel. And where do you think they're going to get the gospel? They need to get it from you. This generation needs to pass it to the next generation and to show you how hard this is going to be look what he says next guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us in other words Timothy this is not something you can handle this is not something that's going to be easy. This, this is not an open windows devotion that, that we're just going to get. Timothy, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. But let me, let me tell you something, Timothy. That Holy Spirit lives in you. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you and can I encourage you that in the last days in which we're living, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Do not forget the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And whatever you face, whatever comes your way, you have a resource that the rest of the world does not have. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Because regardless of how cultural issues are decided, and no matter what laws are passed or abolished, we as Christians still have the same God and the same gospel, and that still is the hope of the world. So how do we handle it? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Let's let's just read the text. and I want to show you something here. Paul, beginning in verse 15, he then gives some illustrations, if you will, of everything that he's taught in in the first part of the chapter. Because in verse 15, he starts naming names. You know one of the differences between the modern church and the church in the days of the Bible, they named names. I mean, they really did. I've shared this with some people before, but I'll share it again. In Fort Worth, Texas, when I was in seminary, and I know I told a seminary story today, but this is a different one. In Fort Worth, Texas, when I was in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, going to seminary, I was going down the interstate, and there's this huge, massive, mega church, and it had a Back before electronic billboards were a big thing, it had a huge electronic billboard right there. I think it was on Interstate 26 or something. I mean, it was a massive electronic billboard. And, and, and I was just looking at the church driving. I think I was driving home from a Texas Ranger ball game or something. And I, it was at night. You could see the billboard for miles because the Texas is so flat. You can just see for miles. And I saw that billboard way up ahead and it caught my attention. I was driving and thought, what is on that billboard? And it said... This was at, towards the end of the year, so it wasn't a baseball game. Anyway, this toward the end of the year. It said, the following people have not given anything to their church, dot, 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 dot. I put on my brakes. I wanted to see some of those names. 
Not that I would know them, but I just wanted to see, are you really going to put those names up there? And it said, the following people have not given anything to their church. Dot, dot, dot. We scared you, didn't we? That's what the sign said. We scared you, didn't we? So you know what to put on the sign next? No, don't you do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. In the New Testament church, they name names. And Paul names three people as he closes chapter 1. Two of the three are people, the only reason we know them is because they're in, he names them. And he names them for deserting the gospel. Let's just look at the text. Here's what he says. Verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Province of Asia is that area that includes Ephesus. Ephesus is the city where Timothy was pastoring. And Paul says to these people, says to Timothy, you know this area where, where you're pastoring. Everybody in Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. How'd you like to be those two people? When the, when the word came out on, you know, the word came out that Paul has sent a letter and he wants Timothy to read it to everybody. How'd you like to be Phygelus and Hermogenes? We don't know. Listen to this. We don't know what exactly they did besides the fact that they deserted Paul. But it affected him so much and when he was writing this letter, he used them as illustrations of those who have walked away from the gospel. He says, may the Lord show mercy. He changes now. He just mentions those who had deserted him and, and by implication deserted the gospel. And then he, he turns and he talks about someone in a very positive tone. Uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes are, are bad examples of serving the Lord and, and being faithful to the gospel. And then he gives us a good example. Phygelus and Hermogenes are probably examples of someone who is ashamed of the gospel. That's probably the reason they deserted, probably the reason they walked away. They saw the price that Paul was having to pay. They saw the cost and they didn't want to pay that cost. And so they are examples of those who are ashamed of the gospel, not willing to pay that cost. But then he gives us the example of one individual who is willing to pay the cost, who is not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul says this in verse 16 about that individual. May the Lord show mercy to the household of, household of Anesiphorus. Because he, what's that next word? He what? He often, this is not a one-time deal. But he often refreshed me. and was not ashamed, there's that word. He was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. The idea is, he didn't know where Paul was, he just knew he was in Rome. He knew that he was probably in prison, but he did not know where he was imprisoned. And the idea is he searched and he talked to people and he, and he searched and he talked to people and he kept looking and he kept working until fan, finally maybe he got a lead and finally maybe somebody else told him something else and finally he found out where he was and finally he talked his way into the prison cell to visit Paul. Finally he had a chance to sit down with him. He said, Nesiphorus, he searched hard for me until he found me. 
And he says in verse 18, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Paul ends this chapter, first of all, mentioning the deserters. And then talking about this man who refreshed him. Paul was a scholar. Paul was a missionary. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was a teacher. Paul was a church planter. Paul was, was known all over that part of the world. But it's interesting to me that the one thing that he needed right then, right there, he needed somebody to encourage him. He had fought a long time. He had run a long race. He was now near the end of the journey. And as he sat in that dark prison cell alone. Listen, did you hear that? As he sat in that dark prison cell alone. He could not. He could not get over the fact. That Onesiphorus came to look for him. Came to look for him. And he sat down and he talked to him. And he encouraged him in the gospel. So, listen to this. And we're going to close. Listen to this. This is the only thing we know about Onesiphorus. Only time he's mentioned in Scripture. And, the, and we don't know exactly what he did for Paul. But he said he often did it. He often helped me. He often stood by my side. Chris mentioned earlier, I think Billy and Miriam as well, but I know Chris did. He mentioned earlier how he's He's learning in this new position how the missionaries so desperately need somebody to contact them. So desperately need to hear from somebody. Because listen, as you're working for the gospel and sharing the gospel and you're willing to suffer for the gospel, you need to know that you're not forgotten. You need to know that you're not alone. And as Paul was about to die, the one man that kept coming back to his mind was Vanessa Forrest came to see me. Isn't that beautiful? Vanessa Forrest came to see me. Paul, do you understand? You're about to be beheaded. Yeah, but Timothy, Vanessa Forrest came to see me. You see, he didn't just come to see me. He came to see me when I needed him the most. And I wonder, I wonder if Onesiphorus, I wonder if he ever walked on his way from Rome to Ephesus. This is this speculation. On his way from Rome to Ephesus, I wonder if he, if he ever wondered, you know, I don't know if I'm doing anything with my life. I don't know if I'm making a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, as the days in which we're living grow worse, as the last days become more and more evident, we're going to need one another. Whether your name is Paul or Onesiphorus, we are going to need one another. Guard the gospel. 
Help us. You don't listen. You don't need to be mean spirited about it. You don't need to be ugly about it. You don't need to cause a fight about it and get get on the TV show and and look. Wow. Well, never mind. You, you. But you do need. Listen. 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 You do need to be willing to say. I want to tell you something. There is truth. And truth doesn't change. This is the truth of God. This is the truth handed from God to mankind. And you may not agree with it and you may not believe in it and you may mock it and you may mock me. But I'm going to tell you I will guard this truth. Because it is the hope of the world. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us a way to know you and a way for us to be rightly related to you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us. I'm so thankful in that scripture, he says, by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. So now by the Holy Spirit that lives in us, may we live the gospel, may we share the gospel, may we guard the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.